Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. I am Dean Linke. It is indeed my honor to simply serve as a traffic cop for a star-studded ECNL boys discussion led by ECNL boys commissioner, Jason Cutney. Today, Jason has three power players on the show, all together in Ted Kronopoulos, Victor Pace, and Santino Coranta. These three are so awesome, you probably don't need introductions, but I will do it anyway. We start with Ted Kronopoulos, a name familiar to many of you, both as a player and as a coach. Teddy, as he is often called, is a former U.S. national team player who was part of the launch of Major League Soccer, playing for the New England Revolution and New York, New Jersey Metro Stars. He also played in the Greek First Division and spent some time in the USL First Division and Major Indoor Soccer League. As a coach, Ted Kronopoulos has truly done it at every level, from JB High School to high school to college to working with Major League Soccer Academy teams and now serving as the Patty Adorius Academy Director and U17, U19 head coach. He has been named the U.S. Soccer DA U15, U16 Coach of the Year, the Cal South Odor Division Coach of the Year. His teams have won the United States Champion Manchester United Cup, the Cal South U14 Boys National Cup Championship, among several other titles. He is a member of two Hall of Fames and holds a U.S. Soccer A license. And with Teddy's leadership, Patty Adorius advanced their U15 and U17 Boys team into this year's ECNL Finals with the 17s falling in the semis. Victor Pace joins today's show riding high after helping Carolina Elite Soccer Academy, known as CESA, and based out of Greenville, South Carolina, send their U15, U16, and U17 teams into the ECNL Finals with the 16s falling in the National Championship game and the U15s winning the ECNL Championship in St. Louis. What a victory for Vic and CESA. Congratulations are in order. Vic's experience in coaching and playing spans more than 25 years. Prior to joining CESA in 2019, Victor Pace was on the executive leadership team and was an integral part of the growth and success of the Lone Star Soccer Club in Austin, Texas since 2002. Earlier, he was the assistant director of coaching for the Classic Soccer Club out of Houston from 96 to 02. He's a graduate of the University of South Carolina Upstate and was a player assistant coach for the South Carolina Shamrocks of the USL Select League from 94 to 96. In 1994, he was the head women's and men's assistant coach at Spartanburg Methodist College, in which the men's team won the NJCAA national title. Vic holds a U.S. Soccer A and Academy Director license. He is married to Darlene and has two children, Megan and Keegan. And our final member of today's panel is Santino Coranta, Drafted freshly at 16 years of age by DC United, Santino played 11 plus years in Major League Soccer. He has 15 appearances for the USA men's national team, winning the Gold Cup in 2005 and going through the hexagonal for World Cup qualification in 2006. Santino was also a finalist in 2009, scoring the game winner for the red, white and blue against Honduras in the Gold Cup. 
Centino now leads Pipeline SC as the vice president and technical director of the club's ECNL programs. And amazingly, in their very first year in the league, Centino's club Pipeline SC qualified five of six ages into the ECNL playoffs. Santino holds a U.S. Soccer A license while leading a curriculum based on teams training and playing with energy and passion. Santino and his staff strive to integrate technical and tactical objectives that define a pipeline player. The mentality of how quickly can we get to goal has become a club-level focus on positioning players in the best way to attack. Defensively, he has implemented pressing in numbers and helping players understand their systematic roles and responsibilities. Winning a USYS National Championship in 2016, Santino has developed a culture of success on and off the field while helping student athletes progress into the collegiate ranks. What a panel, and it is perfect to have the ECNL Boys Commissioner Jason Cutney lead the discussion with this triple threat of talent in Teddy, Victor, and Santino, and we do that after we hear this message from the ECNL. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country. With a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean. And welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. You just heard in the open the incredible vials of our star-studded panel with Vic, Santino, and Teddy, all put together by Jason Cutney the ECNL Boys Commissioner, who will drive this fantastic conversation. So with that, I turn it over to Mr. Cutney. Well, thank you, Dean. And look, this is a, this is a great honor for me here to meet with these three guys on the show today. As you said there, with, with Victor Pace coming at this from previously with Lone Star in Texas, now with the ECNL and CISA, a club out of South Carolina, you know, the little club out of South Carolina that came a big way this year in ECNL and put forth a, a huge name for themselves in the UCL playoffs and finals. Teddy Pernopoulos, a player that I played with years ago, uh, a true veteran, that's calling him old there, Dean, but a true veteran when I arrived on the scene in Charleston Battery and an MLS legend and you know a guy that certainly has made a, a big name for himself in the youth game with Patty Adoras. And then Santino Corantas, a big time player for DC United from a very young age, US national team as well. And what he's done with Pipeline in Maryland has certainly put him up at, uh, in, in the rafters of youth soccer as well here, now running the club. But all these guys come together from you know, very different backgrounds, different club structures, different locations of their club, market sizes in which they operate. And the ask here, the question really becomes, they've experienced the youth game in different forms and fashions. In an effort to first look more so at the problems, and then we'll kind of eventually work our way into the potential solutions in the youth game, or at least some ideas that can contribute to a better future in the game. I'm interested to hear from each of these guys on what they feel has been the biggest impediment to the youth game over this past decade. And, you know, whether that be the structure, the methodology, the leadership, et cetera, but really what are, what, what's the biggest challenge, the biggest hurdle, the highest hurdle, I should say, that youth soccer has had over this past decade. So I'll start with the youngest. We'll go to Santino first and see what he thinks. 
Well, first of all, thanks, Jason, for having us. And um, just a quick congratulations to Victor, obviously, with the national championships. And it's an honor for myself to be on with Teddy and Victor as well, because they've been at this a long time. I'm more, like you said, in the younger, the younger end of it. But um, just in terms of, of my, I would say, 10 or 12 years uh, involved in the game, the pathways and the toughest part that, that I've seen is how you differentiate yourself in a good way. I think so many times um, you look at clubs and the goals, the core values, they don't align uh, with what's happening on the field. And so for us, sometimes you get pulled into that realm. And so our core values and what we were trying to do from probably a startup club in 2011 is be different in a good way. Have the kids understand what different means. Is it winning at all costs? Is it trying to develop a model that kids are proud of to wear their hoodie to school? Is it something that parents understand? Because in Baltimore and in the D.C. and Virginia area, it's very competitive, just like it is everywhere else in the country. But there's different ways to get there. Some of the problematic ways are doing things that the guys on this call obviously do things the right way. They've been through it. They've lived through it. They understand what players think, how they think how to separate and draw lines with families and customers and create an atmosphere that is successful. And it's not very simple, but again, that's something where how do you be different in a positive way and impact the community in a positive way? And it's not very simple. Keep it on the East Coast. What do you think, Vic? I think for me, you know, doing this, this for a while and coming from, from two vastly different states and markets, we're always trying to push the envelope as clubs. And then sometimes I think we lose sight of what the actual goal is for, for a youth soccer club. Obviously, the experience for the player is very important for the families. You know, again, I, I think in the beginning when we first started this, we saw people as customers. But I, I think they have to be part of the process for you. So, you know, we refer to our people as members or, you know, your membership. And they have a very important part to play. And I think some of the, the, the things that were difficult as the youth games developed over the last 30 years was allowing these things to develop a little bit. I think because of the way culture is now, social media, everything's changing so quickly. So you never really let anything develop. And, and I don't wanna talk ill of any leagues, but some of the leagues that we were involved at at the highest level were sort of making the decisions for everything below it. And then you lose sight of what you're actually doing, You know, trying to develop good people, good players, and, and letting the players sort of go through the process. You know, we're very fortunate here in our area, we're in a small market, so we're able to, to control most of that. But I think going back to it, you know, things were changing too quickly. We couldn't effectively communicate with our membership of even what league some of these teams were in. You know, all of a sudden here comes a new league, all of a sudden here comes a new pathway, age group change and those things. Those things affect clubs in a way that if you're not involved in it, is very difficult right so we went from school year to january 1st those things impact teams greatly whether it's the the social aspect of it or just the sheer what the teams look like so i think for for me the the constant changing and not letting things develop and looking things at you know six months 18 months two years down the road you know we try to plan and sometimes the plan changes you know and when you're a big organization like i used to be in it was difficult to, to accept those changes. It was hard. Now with this market where we're at, 
it, it's easier for me as the ECNL director to look at our teams and say, okay, I think this is important. Here's how we can change things. And, and, and then just leaning on those experiences, because again, and I don't want to speak for the other guys here, but the constant change was difficult to manage, you know, and then all of a sudden you come with collections of players that were not really teams and, and then the environment and then who we're playing, where we're going, it was very difficult to manage. And then you throw in the, the financial piece with it, you know, you, it, it was a big challenge. And I think now that the, the landscape has settled a little bit, we're very pleased with our platform now with the ECNL. I think it provides us flexibility and the ability to play some very good teams. Like we've played against Santino's group there at Pipeline. And that was one of our losses this, this past season. But again, seeing how, Clubs like his and Patio Doors have been around for a, for a very long time. It's it's that constant change in the environment, which I think makes it difficult for us and trying to to, to plan ahead. You know, like, like Teddy said, you know, we used to be in it for fun, and now it's a big business, and it's it's understanding that and balancing it and being able to make the right choice for your club. You know, what works here in Greenville, South Carolina, doesn't work in Southern California, doesn't work in Maryland. So understanding that environment. And what your goals are, and I think Santino said it, what, what your culture's like, what you want for your players, I think those things are important. And those things for us, those core values and that. And me being here just for two years, I got a chance to feel that coming here with my daughter's team at Regionals that was hosted here. I've known Andrew Hislop and Pierce Stormy, the co-executive directors here for a long time. There's something here that's an intangible. And for me, that was very important because, again, that breeds success. So I guess, you know, that piece for me was, was a positive for me moving here. Well, it's really interesting, especially you bringing up the birth year change, because oftentimes you overlook that. I mean, that was a that was a significant change in the culture of youth soccer. And all of a sudden you're, you're changing from kids playing with classmates to uh, to not. And, you know, separating those classmates when it comes to recruitment, that had a big impact on the college game as well. Because college coaches are showing up and trying to figure out what, you know, what year each one of these kids is in. So definitely a, a, a big one that many times we overlook. How about Teddy on, on the West coast and what you've experienced through the game, obviously playing and now in the club scene, what do you think has been one of the biggest challenges that the youth game has faced over this last decade? I wouldn't even say the last decade. I would say it's probably the last three or four years with all the, the changing in platforms, right? It's, it's managing the expectations of parents, right? Cause like Victor said, the, the social media aspect has taken control and things get sent out so quickly, you know, and you got to stay on top of things a little bit more than maybe you did, you know, years past. But that's the biggest thing for us is managing expectations, expectations of the parents, the players, um, you know, which league is, you know, playing in the MLS. You have so many platforms now, EA, MLS, ECNL. It's like, which is best, what it's best for you, right? For us as a club, my message is like, this is what's best for us. You know, in the past, it could have been, you know, MLS might've been the best league for us, but like Victor said, and I don't mean to, I'm not sitting here to, in, in down in the MLS league or anything like that, but it, it's, it's MLS driven, which is totally fine and, 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 and respectable. And there's a, there's a platform for everyone. And I think you have to identify that platform and make sure that you're on the same page with your staff and the people that you're around and managing those expectations and the reasons why you want to play at those platforms. Like this is the best thing for us right now that fits our club. We're part of a market that's, you know, it's a, a difficult market. And Victor knows being in the Dallas area with FC Dallas and Solar and all these other Texans, you know, is a great club. And, you know, we've got 10 or 12 clubs within 20 miles of us that are like top notch clubs that are managing their expectations of their club and what's best for their program. And, 
you know, it's almost a tug of war sometimes of, of players. It's like, Hey, I want to go over there because they're doing this. And, you know, and I feel right now people are just like driven to an acronym, right? This is the best acronym right now that I think is, is best for our, for our kids. And, I, and that's challenging to deal with sometimes, but if your message is, is, is consistent and you believe in your message, I think the parents are going to follow you. And I think that's, that's massive. If you start to skate here and skate there and, I'm not so sure if this is right for us, then that's when people have doubt. And that's when people start looking at other, other uh, places for their kids to play. So I think it's having a consistent message, um, whatever, whatever market you're in, but in the tough markets in the Dallas area, even the Maryland area, great kids, uh, good players in the Southwest conference. That's been our biggest challenge the last few years is, is managing those expectations and not thinking of the short term. You're in this for the long term. You know, at nine, 10 years old, you're jumping clubs and you're playing for three clubs in three years. And you want to make sure you, you find a place that's going to be good for your son or daughter, longevity, you know, making sure they have a good development plan, an individual development plan for your kids. That way, you know, you know that this place is for you for the next five or six years. We talk a lot about in youth development, about honesty with players and just letting them truly know where they are. Sometimes that's a really difficult conversation. You know, when every, when any player, and every player does, every player finds their level at some point, usually that can feel like running into a brick wall. I think being honest though is the most important part of that. We went through as a league, we went through that process of honesty, really looking inward when the development Academy folded, right? When it went under, because it was one of those conversations that we had as to what do we want to be as a league? I think one of the most important things that came out of that was the, the open and honest discussions with you guys and with others around the country that each had experience within the Development Academy because the Development Academy brought a lot of great things to youth soccer in this country. And it had other structural issues, which you know, were not necessarily all their, the fault of US soccer by any means. And so we looked at those things and we tried to figure out how are we gonna meld all these things together? Vic, you mentioned it before, the, what's best for your members? And I think we looked at the same thing from a league perspective. What's best for our members? Our members are clubs and our club service players and families. How important, you know, Teddy, I, I know you were, and I thank you for this, you were one of the key guys in helping us really move that forward with communication of, with DA clubs or former DA clubs. How important was that aspect to you feeling comfortable moving Patty Doors into the ECNL, knowing that there was you know, a conversation to be had, a communication that we were taking that conversation very seriously when we put it all on the paper. Yeah. I mean, I, it was very important, right? I think we were, we've had, we had discussions, you know, maybe 12 to 15 months prior to that. Right. Cause we had heard, you know, some stuff that was going on. And like Victor said, I think it's what's best for our members. Right. And we felt that this pathway was best for our members. Right. And I think that's the most important thing to think about. Cause you're not only thinking about, you know, just your team, you coach, you got to deal with, how many other hundreds and thousands of kids in your club that this affects, right? It's a domino effect. It's not just about the boys or about the girls, but you look at these other teams that are below you, right? The second and third tier teams that are looking at you for guidance and like, you know, what is this, is this the best place for us? And for us, we, we felt it was, you know, we got to the point and I'm sure, you know, Victor knows about this is, is um, we just felt that, you know, we were being undervalued. Right. You know, we were kind of we started this league, you know, back in 2007, you know, part of other clubs, maybe, and just felt we were a little undervalued. Um, although, like you said, Jason, I think it, it, it was a platform that was needed. Um, it served a purpose. 
Um, I learned a lot as a coach, you know, taking my director license. I think Victor has as well, you know, through um, the DA and kind of forcing um, that envelope of coaches education. I think that was massive. And there's a lot of good things that came out of the DA, but, you know, kind of turned in, you know, to kind of more MLS, right. More geared towards um, that type of uh, a player and the standards and expectations of say a club like us or a pipeline and Lone Star where there's a financial restraint sometimes um, these other MLS clubs don't have that financial restraint. So it was always trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? You try to keep up with them, which a lot of good clubs still do. And we try to find different ways to, to, to fund our programs, but it always felt that everything was always, you know, it was, there was a discussion, but there was never really discussion with the little guys like us, like saying, Hey, this is what I think is best for, for us. Um, and this might not be best for MLS, but, we always kind of felt that we were always waiting on them to make a decision. Right. And, and I understand that they have totally different financial constraints than maybe other clubs do, but that was one of the, you know, you know, really factors that we looked into. And a lot of the other was just communication, you know, being able to communicate on a regular basis and, you know, talking to, to Jason probably once a week on certain things that, you know, Hey, you know, can we do this in the league? What do you think about this? And just having an open discussion an open forum of, communication I think felt like it was always their communication was there but it always kind of stopped and never kind of proceeded and went into something more a little bit better for us off to a great start rocking and rolling we've got a star-studded crew here Victor Teddy and Santino with Jason Cutney the ECNL boys commissioner leading the discussion segment one in the books on breaking the line the ECNL podcast from athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade, the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Dean Linky here with Jason Cutney, the ECNL Boys Commissioner, segment two. Rolling now, Jason, you got a great crew here. Yes, we do. And so right before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the issues that we've faced in youth soccer. And we have Victor Pace here with CISA and Teddy Pernopoulos with Patty Doris and Santino Quaranta with Pipeline just kind of going through some of the challenges that we face in youth soccer and how we can maybe overcome them and, and build into some new ideas to bridge some of these gaps that exist in the game. Right before the break, we were talking a little bit about just, you know, that, that life formerly in the U.S. Development Academy. And we talked about the, a lot of positives that came to the table in, in terms of development of the youth in this game in the country. And one of those main positives I really think was a stronger light was finally shed on the standards involved in youth soccer development. But we all know that there's room to dispute which standards are truly meaningful to player development and which are you know, maybe a show and tell in some ways and, and a separation of the haves and the have nots. And Teddy started to touch on that a little bit before the break with just the resources and the budgets that some have versus others. And I think one of the ailments and one of the issues that U.S. soccer faced with the Development Academy was it was an extremely expensive league. It just made it really not a viable solution for the future. So when we're looking at things from the ECNL perspective, in many ways, it's very similar to how club directors are looking at operating their clubs. How do they afford to provide the most meaningful resources 
and standards for their club so that the players truly have the best pathway available to them. And so when it really boils down to it, I guess what, I, what I'd love to touch on here, and we'll start with Vic and then we'll go to Santino and we'll talk to these guys about the standards that they really feel carry the game forward and maybe even cite some unconventional ways that your clubs are able to provide for your players in a way that's maybe more on budget. You know, and, and so I think that's important for everyone to understand in this country that you can have these standards. You don't have to be a club that is tied directly to a professional team to have professional standards. And that's a narrative that has existed for far too long in this country. But we'll start with you, Vic. What do you think? And when you, when you think of standards, obviously you were involved a lot in the double pass program. You're involved in launching or helping to launch the bio banding as well within the Texas market. What do you see as being the most important standards when it comes to what's meaningful and, and truly helpful to players? That's a loaded question there, but I'll see if I can answer it here. You want to have, you know, again, and I think I, I prefaced this earlier, you know, what works in, in this market usually doesn't work in this market. But I, I think to have standards across the board, you know, people that are in charge and, and making decisions have to be held accountable for certain things within an organization. And you mentioned Double Pass. Double Pass was a great thing for us as it came through the club. It, was, it, it gave us a chance to, to really reflect on how we did things. And, and trying to centralize all the information that we had. We had some very good coaches and, and guys that had been around the game a long time, but getting those thoughts together and really putting them down and trying to implement those in an organization can be, can be difficult at times. All of us here on this, this call have an idea what the game looks like. I didn't play at the highest level like my, my two colleagues here, but, but again, being able to transfer that into your organization or into your teams of what's important for you again, I think is different everywhere else. The, the double pass experience for me was excellent. It gave me a chance to, to really identify the things that we were very good at and things that really needed more work. And again, sometimes in, in, in a position like ours, you become too much of an administrator and you lose sight of the soccer piece. You know, we mentioned budgets. You know, I'm fortunate here. I don't deal with that here. You know, we, Pierce, Pierce Tormey is the guy that does our business plan. He gives me everything that we need to do to be successful. Now, if I go in and say, I want, this amount of money to do this, then maybe it's a discussion. But I think those discussions and understanding what's important for us, I think is the, is, is the, is the, the essence to what's happening within your area. For us, we're very fortunate. There isn't very much competition here for, for the top players. So we have a captive audience that understands what we're doing, is communicated to on a regular basis, and it makes life a little bit easier for them. So they can plan, right? We forget about planning with a club, how about a family that had to now go through Greensboro and all the stuff that we had to go through into St. Louis? That, that takes a lot of money and that takes a lot of commitment from these people. So again, being able to control the controllables and making sure that what your vision is for the club is communicated, right? So all of us have great ideas, but if your parents and your membership don't know, then it makes it very difficult, especially if you have other people making decisions within your organization. I felt like at times, you know, sometimes you have a lot of authority, right? or a lot of responsibility with not much authority. So we wanna do this, but can we really do that? So having the, the, the experience that I have now with the guys that I'm working with now enables us to, to put together a plan that makes sense, that's right for our market and is realistic, right? If you would ask me two years ago, would we have three teams in the finals at nationals? I would say, hey, I'd love to, yeah, for sure. You know, But the process was there, our goals were pretty lofty and I knew what we had in place here. And it was just a matter of, trying to enhance those things, bringing some of the experiences that I've had in different parts of the country and finding out what works here. The double pass, the development academy and the standards, the standards that the development academy had 
for me was great. I felt like when you went to games, you understood what the environment was going to be like, what the coaching was going to be like. And I think that lent itself to, to, to the players that you see now coming through that have gone into MLS, that have gone on with the national team. So you just look at our national team, all those players that have gone through there have come through some type of form with the development academy. So there was a lot of positives for me. Could we keep up with the, the big wigs in our conference? No, that was difficult for us. So it was always a challenge and the games were always a challenge. But I like to think that the players that we had were better for that experience, were sort of battle tested. And now some of them have gone on. And, you know, we, we put a lot of players in Major League Soccer that were not from, you know, the FC Dallas's of the world or Sporting Kansas City and clubs like that. So we were very fortunate to play against those guys. And I think it had a great ripple effect with us. But as Teddy alluded to, it, it was apples and oranges when it came to finances and being able to do things. We weren't traveling to Dubai and playing in a tournament in Dubai, right? We were trying to fly people in and, and trying to go places to play some preseason matches. And ironically, with, with Lone Star, we traveled here to Greenville, South Carolina and played the CISA teams back, what, seven years ago. And it was a great experience. And it also helped me to see what different markets look like in different parts of the country. Since, you know, you, you know, you came up as a youngster in DC United, you know, DC United, great leadership there, probably one of the, the lesser resourced clubs, though, for a long time while you were there in terms of facilities, training facilities. I actually remember one time being at the training facilities for DC United before some academy games, and they told us we had to vacate the field immediately by 5 p.m. or else. And we didn't know what that meant until 5 p.m. rolled around and about 350 ultimate Frisbee participants joined the field and Frisbees were everywhere. So we, we quickly learned that DC was sharing some facilities with others. Now they fortunately have solved that problem since then. But when you think about resources and you think about standards, you think about your career and now what you're doing with the youth, what do you think are the most meaningful for these young players? Really, first and foremost, and it, and it goes back to the DA versus being an ECNL when you have leadership um, that sticks their neck out and, and has a message, um, especially just within our own clubs, you want your kids, your families to understand what and who you want to be. And this is for deep going back to DC United. When Kevin Payne was in charge of DC United, his vision and his message and the execution were all the same, right? And so for us, I learned a lot from Kevin in terms of how you stand in front of a room with Jaime Moreno or, or Ben Olsen or Marco Echeverri. And when I looked at those guys and they were looking in his eyes, I knew that they respected him because the messaging, it wasn't false, but the execution was there. And so for us at Pipeline and, and these guys that are on the call as well, I think that they understand if we're going to talk about a culture, core values, they need to be executed. And I think that for me, the biggest thing with the DA was like Victor and, and Teddy have said, the standards were great. Uh, the understanding of, of you know, the, the individual players in the league were great. But for us, smaller markets or smaller clubs, the execution from, from our vision, it wasn't always there. It wasn't always heard. And so for us and, and ECNO and the girls in Boyside, when yourself or when Christian, the message comes out, it's executed, whether it be the collegiate coaches at the events being taken care of whether it be the way the events are run, the communication, that stuff's really important. And so for us at Pipeline, we try to really, the message that we portray, it has to be executed. That's the one thing I, I really valued from Kevin Payne and DC United, even being the resources being fairly low. Um, 
he believed in his product. He believed in his messaging and the execution was always there. And as a league, I agree. We've tried, like every club director, we as a league try to make sure we stretch every dollar and get the most out of each dollar for all the member clubs in the league. My prior life here was managing a club in you know, the pro side and the USL and the youth side. And you had to make really, really good decisions. You couldn't afford, literally, you couldn't afford to make bad decisions because you just didn't have the, the coffers there to, to help service that debt. And so one of the issues that we look at nowadays is when we try to advance as a league, as an ECNL, what standards can we start to really build into the league that won't cost clubs out of the league? And I think that's probably one of the most important questions that we're asking that maybe others needed to ask in the past that didn't because they can very easily be a keep up with the Joneses type of approach. In other leagues, pro and youth have done and gone down that path. But, you know, when we look at this and we start looking at things like video assessment and analysis, interested to hear your guys' thoughts on this because that, to me, that's always been a hot button issue in the youth game. There's a lot of programs out there to break down games. There's a lot of coaches that break down those games for their teams and sit with them and meet and go over things, but the challenges are there. Who's going to video the game? Is it a high enough quality camera? How quickly are they going to turn around the breakdowns after? Can they afford to have an outsourced company come in and do that for them? At the end of the day, does it just fade away after 30, 60 days of, of doing this type of stuff? So interested to hear, I'll start with Teddy on this one. Video analysis for your teams, for your players. I'll give you a 10 scale, 10 being the most important one being the least. What do you think it is on the scale and how are you currently doing that within your club? Wow. It, it takes me back to, I think Santino, did you have Thomas Rongen? I did. Oh my God. Did I dread video sessions with him? He was one of those individuals like, you know, put your hard hat on, get in the room, get ready to be, you know, a lot of constructive criticism. You know, I just think back to those days. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Then as a, as a coach now you look back and you reflect on all those video sessions you had and it made you a better player you know it made you look at things maybe you didn't see in, in a particular moment during a match so do I think it's important yes I also think it's how you use it you know are you just using it to put up a camera and okay here you go we're appeasing the parents and we're taking video and we've got our huddle account and we've got all our teams in there but when you look at your account there's like two kids going there every two months you know, and I think it's really setting the standards. I think what Vic said earlier and, and Santino's setting the standards early and the expectations of, hey, this is what we're going to do. And these are the expectations that we need to see follow through with it. A lot of video stuff you can do with IDPs, um, individual development programs with kids. And I know, but that it takes time. You know, like you said, it, it's we kind of throw that back on our players. And when we do video sessions, we kind of put it back on them and make that part of their IDP along with their IDP of what they think they need to work on. We say, okay, take five or 10 clips or of yourself um, strengths and weaknesses of what you think, you know, in this match that you came through with. So do I think it's important? Yes. From a age group standpoint, uh, you know, with the DA, they, I think they, they mandated it one year, correct me wrong, Vic down yeah. to 12. Yeah. I think it was down to 12 at one point. And then they scaled back, I think, after the next year, I think the 14 and higher. So I think that at the older ages, I think it's, it's, it's definitely needed. Um, I think from a college perspective, obviously, to have highlights for, for college coaches. Do I think it's needed from a coaching education standpoint? Yes. So I think it's needed across the board with your club. It's just how you manage it and how you, what's your expectations of using it when, when you do have it. 
So Teddy completely dodged the ranking of one to 10. So I'll turn to you for this one. Do you see video as being more important for player development in terms of teaching and reflection or more important to service the need of the families to get video for college and highlights and et cetera? For us, I've done it all different ways. We were all in, did the huddle thing, high video clips, all that kind of stuff. So to, the, the short answer is I, there is value in it how much you do of it and what's important to you. So for us, we have a different platform this year and everybody has an account and they can put together clips for themselves for the college piece. From the soccer perspective, we look at the game in moments, the four moments in the game. So I think those are important in clipping little segments for them. You know, even the older kids, anything more than 15 minutes, I think you're wasting time with them, right? So, so we look at these little moments in transition and, and those things, I think those are important. Being able to find the time and, and, and we all wear multiple hats and having a dedicated video person, we do not have that, you know, where some of these other clubs do, but there is value in it. And I think showing those little moments and then, and then using, you know, not necessarily your own teams, but you can find stuff on the internet that can help, you know, enhance the things that you talk about. So from a college perspective, the highlight things, yes. From an individual standpoint, we don't really clip individual stuff. We do look at moments and, and find moments in the game for, for the players to look at. And a lot of that is done remotely, you know, finding a place to do it and how much time, you know, with us here, I value more time on the field. We can talk about it and then maybe send a clip or say, hey, look at minute whatever of this video to see this to reinforce what we're doing on the field. And that's about it for us, to be honest with you. I was all in at one time and Teddy, the cost of it, you know, you buy these high pods, they're $3,500 and then who's going to run it and getting it. So it, it was cumbersome. It was difficult. The platform we use now is much easier. And yes, we do use it to a, to a certain degree, but not very much. Well, Santino, I'm sure you sat in some video sessions watching, basically you played for, I think the MLS all-star team at that point with uh, DC United. So, I mean, I'm sure some of those had some, funny moments watching back uh, your, your game films and busting on each other. But where do you, where do you see video right now lining up for the pipeline players? So for us, we use trace. It's critically important for us. We, we invested in a performance center that we do a lot of physical work inside of. Um, we have a video room here for our players. Um, the trace piece for us is great because it takes a lot of the burden off of uh, moments and you know clipping these games because I just couldn't do it. it 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 became too cumbersome and so now they've come a long way their setup is great and what ended up happening happening is especially with our with our boys and girls that is the number one thing that kids ask for after every game when will this be uploaded and it's pretty simple for us uh, because they get to see every time they touch the ball. We don't watch full games. Our coaches will clip critical moments like Vic was talking about in games, but our players now and our families, we do it for our regional league teams and our ECNL groups. It was a big investment that we thought, again, in different markets, different things are needed. And it is one thing that I'll be honest with you, before I wasn't a huge fan of it, especially for younger age groups. I think sometimes it becomes you know, too much X's and O's where these kids are getting confused socially inside a room. If, if I'm talking to a kid that mentally maybe can't handle a little bit of criticism at a young age, it's just managing those things. At the older age groups, the college coaches love uh, the stuff that we send them because all the moments, it's the good ones and the bad ones. We do value it and we did invest in it. Gonna take a quick break and hear from some ECNL sponsors and we'll be back with more from Jason, Victor, Teddy, and Santino on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. 
Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. ECNL Boys is partnering with Puma for the second year, driving sport forward with the leading products and the next generation of pros who wear them. Puma has proven themselves as the fastest sports brand in the world, the fastest innovation, the fastest players, and the fastest products in the game. They're the perfect partner to complement the speed and talent of our teams. In keeping with their mantra of forever faster, Puma introduces the world's fastest boot, the Ultra. The only boot engineered for speed, the Ultra combines a woven upper with a lightweight outsole for direct forward motion, speed, and acceleration. It's the best in the game, designed for the best players in the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, where Jason Cutney, the ECNL Boys Commissioner, leads a fantastic discussion. Thanks, Dean. We talked a lot now with the guys here about standards in the game, about the challenges we face in the game. One of the main reasons we wanted to have these guys on the show today is, yes, they're coming at this from different market sizes and different locations. Yes, from different backgrounds. In some ways, a shared background as well. So it's really interesting to draw some conclusions here. But the, the one thing that was really interesting for me personally coming into my job with the UCNL in this, this past year specifically was that it was a melting pot. The, the ECNL for the first time felt like it was a true melting pot of different clubs that came from different backgrounds. You know, Pipeline was a, a prolific USYS uh, club and very successful there with multiple national championships. I know that was the same thing when uh, Vic was involved with Lone Star and, and then the same thing when he went to CISA. And Patiador is, you know, a, a legendary club that won, I think, one or two DA titles as well. And, and so, you know, you had some very successful clubs. But for me, when I looked at this particular year in ECNL, it was a combination of the narrative anyway, was a former DA and the non. And everything that we went through in the early goings of this conversation of, you know, how are we going to form this league and create something where everyone gets along, it really felt like there was a a class system that we needed to eradicate and get rid of. And the only way you can do that is by putting people on the field and letting them play. You know, there's so much dialogue in this country on social media and everything else about soccer being an expensive sport. It certainly is. There's ways that every club can try to lessen those costs. There's ways that we all as a league can get more business investment to help mitigate and lessen costs as well. But at the end of the day, when a whistle blows, teams play, players play, and we see the cream rise to the top. And that's what we've seen this year. I mean, these three clubs on here, I know they don't know the official club rankings yet for the ECNL this year. I do. But they're all in the top 15. They're very different clubs from very different areas. But what I'm interested to hear and what I was interested to see this year was at the end of it all, the former DA clubs and the non, how was that going to shake out in terms of success within the ECNL? And it was exactly 50% of former DAs versus non-winning national titles. And the same thing of advancing to what we can call the elite eight of our Champions League. And so it was really interesting to see an exact 50-50 breakdown there. But I thought it was also important because when we first started this conversation, and I'll, I'll dovetail to my question here, 
it was very much a conversation of, well, you know, are we going to be playing against the non-DAs also? And, you know, Teddy was part of those conversations as well. There was a big fear factor of, well, you know, if we enter this league, are we going to play the non-DA? You know, these teams are playing high school soccer as well. I don't, you know, they're just not on the same trajectory as us. And here we see it play out. And so I kind of want to hear from you guys on this. We'll start with Teddy. You know, Teddy, when you think about those early conversations, you were hearing the same things I was hearing from other directors with their concerns with coming to the ECNL, with playing the ECNL clubs as opposed to just being able to play the former DA clubs. Now you've had a full season. And are you seeing that that narrative has been broken down? Are you still seeing issues that are, that are going to kind of hang around for another year or two? Where is that conversation going right now in the youth game? I think with us in our conference, it's been very positive. I think obviously when you, when you go from, when you're part of a league for 20, you know, 10 years or since 2007, you know what the standards are, you know what the expectations are when you're there. And when things kind of went south and, you know, we had these conversations with ECNL, I think a lot of it's in, you know, the, the unknown, right? Especially during a COVID year, none of us knew what was going to happen. We were struggling just to get games, right? We're traveling all over the state and other states just to get games. And there was a little bit of a, a panic, I think, from all of us. But I think when it's all said and done, and like you said, when the whistle blows, I mean, that's where you kind of, you're, you're going to tell where you're currently at. And I think for us, you know, like the Rousseau Cows and the Surfs and FC Golden States and, you know, we all didn't know what to expect, to be honest, you know, but when we got down to it and started playing, we're like, man, this is good, right? This is what we need. You know, I was talking, I think, to, to you, Jason, earlier in the year, it was like playing styles, I think, are a little bit different too. I, I think that's been probably the biggest change for me as a coach is kind of the playing styles, you know? You, you go from, you know, playing some pretty good teams and these you go playing ECNL and you're like, whoa, these guys can play. You know, even going to the finals, I think we ended up playing Eclipse with the 17s and it's like, gosh, I thought we had one of our best games of the year and still couldn't come out on the end. You know, you're looking at it going, God, what could we have done differently? Nothing, you know, they were very good, very organized. Um, so I think from us, I think we enjoyed it. It's a different challenge. And I think that's great for the kids and it's great for the coaches and our staff. Um, I think it's great for the other clubs. And we've talked before, Jason, is like, are there things that we need to tighten a little bit? Yeah, sure. You know, no problem. You know, I, I agree with 100%. And when Vic said double pass, I think one thing that I would love to do a lot with a lot of these other directors is finding what they do. Like, what do they do best? And sitting down in a room and like, Vic, how do you do this? And your IDPs and your fundraising and, and Santino, how do you work with, you know, your, your staff? And I think those conversations are healthy because it only keeps you more engaged, keeps you on your toes, thinking out of the box and not being so comfortable as, oh, this is what we're going to do and that's it. It's like, you always got to be on your toes year after year. Like what's next? And um, from a coaching standpoint, from a playing standpoint. So that's something that I'm really encouraged about because I would love to get involved and sit in a room with you guys and, and talk about how can we improve our league? How can we improve the game in general? Because everyone's got different ideas. And I think that's only going to make our league better and it's going to make our coaches better, which in turn is going to make our players better. Well, since, you know, obviously with the with pipeline, there was a relationship with Armour for years as well with the DA. And so you saw that balance of, of why players were going to be playing with pipeline versus why with Armour. You're also in an area that's very rich with private schools. And so the need for some of these players to play for their schools because of, you know, scholarship issues and everything else played into it, into those decisions. How have you seen, since you've joined ECNL and you've had experience with the armor side and the pipeline side, how have you seen the experience playing out for your players? To be completely honest with you, it's, it's been tremendous. Um, 
it was a heavy load every year on our shoulders talking about high school versus non-high school, which players should make the move, which players in seventh and eighth grade are thinking about, should I go to this public school because I'm going to play in a DA versus this private school that I can play high school, but I can't play in the fall. The conversations every year with families, you'd have, and, and Vic and Teddy probably would understand this, there were some very good players, the one percenters that absolutely deserved to go on to the next level that were in our DA program, that weren't at DC United or weren't at Philly Union, but they're with us. And then you had players that I don't want to say lost the experience to play high school socially, but they did. And for me, I'm pretty honest. And it was, I didn't lie to parents, but you almost felt like you're selling something that you internally socially wanted them to experience, if that makes sense. So for us now, when, like we've talked about Jason, this was the perfect setup for pipeline and for where we are today. Socially, the kids get to experience high school. If they don't play in high school, we still offer a product that a training environment. And that's great because now we've checked those boxes off, but to see the faces of some of the families, because they asked me, did you play high school? And my answer is yes, I did. And I was a professional and these guys would understand this. That's hard because uh, at the end of the day, I had a great time doing it. And so I got to experience it for a year and a half and then down to Bradenton with the national team set up uh, with the residency program and I missed it. And so to have that balance, because for me, I was all in one way, right? And it was to become a professional and to be dedicated and, and everything I had to do. But these kids here, they're not gonna be professionals, a lot of them. So how do they get to experience playing in front of 2000 people on a Friday night versus going to watch the game because they play in a D8 game the next morning. So we're very happy with it. And if there's players at Pipeline that need to go to a Philly Union or DC United, they will be encouraged to make that move. And, and my relationship with DC United is, is great. And we have constant communication with them. And, and that's where Teddy and Vic would understand this. If that needs to happen, then it needs to happen. And they've played at a high level and understand what that means. And that's why I think that the ECNL, the people that are involved that have lived this, that now understand player mindset, just like you, Jason, will, will help this league grow leaps and bounds. Well, what do you think, Vic? I mean, you, yes, I think, you get I think, a different territory here as well, but now you see it in a smaller market too. Yeah, I think Santino said it best there. You know, not every player is going to be a professional soccer player, but they're going to be professional in something. So I think, you know, not losing sight of that. And, and then for the top one, 1% 1 of whatever, if there's a player we can't provide for here, there are academies and places those players can go. The rest of them, like, like Santino said, it's, it's, I think it's an important part of our culture here with the high school piece. And I'm not tooting our horn here, but all three teams that made it to nationals, players on all three of those teams have won high school championships, whether it was at a private school, 5A, 3A, whatever size school. And those are meaningful games. They've gone through it. They've learned how to play in a pressure situation in front of a bunch of people to win or go home. So again, I think that experience coupled with how we integrate the, the, the high school piece here, for me, it, 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 was a, it was a blend of things that needed to happen for us and breed more success for us. I think some of the, the hesitancy with, with the, the, the so-called 10-month programs, the six-month programs, was in fact the schedule. Would we get enough games? Would we be able to play? And again, you know, we talk about periodization. We talk about what the calendar looks like for players. If you sit down and you actually plan, you can achieve both. You're not going to have a kid play Friday night and then travel to Birmingham to play two games in a weekend. That's nonsensical. But if you could look at the schedule, 
balance your rosters and find playing time and find ways to work that in, which we do here. And it's great to work with the other directors that know that because in our conference last year, we had different high school seasons. So you had kids playing high school, kids not playing high school. So is that an advantage or disadvantage? I didn't see that. I saw all the teams were very prepared, whether we played them in the fall or in the spring. And I hope they would see the same from us. So being able to plan for that and, and, and put together a program that fits. And if you have that 1% of 1% that has a different pathway, by all means, I think that that bodes well for your organization saying, all right, you're going to go play with LAFC or you're going to go in the Galaxy Academy because Teddy sent, sent in. They've played at that level. They know what it looks like. They know what the mentality is of that player. Because to be honest with you, right now with social media, everybody's a pro, right? Everybody can be a pro tomorrow if you wanted to, right? So I think having guys with experience that have played at the level and, and being honest saying, hey, and you said it, Jason, you need to be honest. You're not ready for this. Here's the things that you can do. If you think you're ready, we'll send you to Atlanta. Let's see you hang out there for a week and see how you hang. And they'll let you know because they know what it looks like. They've put players in there, right? So I think having those academies around us and having a working relationship. So we have Charlotte now that's here and also Atlanta. We have a great relationship with them. They take players, they have a look at them and they'll keep eyes on them if they're not ready. So I think those things are important. And now it allows us as an organization and our club here to be able to plan for those players, right? We're not gonna hold people back. That, that's not our intention. We're here to, to make sure that every player gets the right opportunity. And then now you look at college soccer, right? Players going to college, leaving early, but I like to think the college game is better because of what we've done, right? You know, we're just, somebody said, hey, we're just making better college players. Well, what's wrong with that, right? You know, college has its own choice, has its own challenges. But again, from us, producing better players, playing a better brand of soccer, I think you're seeing it with the, with the national teams, the youth national teams, and even the high school programs here. We ask our guys to be the best players in their high school programs, be leaders, and, and, and change the culture at your school because those things are important. And again, I said it, you can be professional in something. It might not be soccer, but if you can take that to the game, I think we're doing the right thing here. From my perspective, personally and, and professionally, we, I've always tried to look and extract, you know, the little nuggets of truth that, that apply to my situation and then think about how to apply them for a, a go forward plan and a way to be better than the year before. That's, that's a very good summary for where we are immediately entrenched in these meetings right now with ECNL. I mean, we just finished up. We just got back from St. Louis on the boys' side. The girls just got back from Richmond. We're already in these meetings on strategy for the year ahead and changing standards and really taking a closer look at our competition rules to make sure that we're, we're better and better equipped to handle the load of clubs coming into the league. But the one thing that stood out with this year, other than just breaking down that narrative of former DA versus non and, and seeing it all play out on the field, was just the uh, kind of the understanding that we we need to focus on being ECNL. Right? We can't be something else. We need to be the best ECNL that we can be. And when you look at leagues, there's a multitude of leagues in this country, just like there's a multitude of clubs. The minute you try to emulate somebody else, you you immediately start to get pulled out of your comfort zone, and sometimes you don't do things as well as you you should or could. And I think U.S. soccer, in many ways, in bringing in some of the voices that they've had in the past with the national teams. We've tried to take influences from, you know, whatever country is doing it right at that time. And, and we've seen that slip backwards for us. So my question to you guys, I mean, you know, I know from the, from the league perspective, our specific thing or things that we're going to be attacking this year ahead, you guys each played in a year now, with, you know, came out of a very weird year, went into another weird year. Some of you started sooner than others. Teddy, you were probably the last one to start kicking a ball out there as well, but 
you each played a season in the ECNL, the modern day ECNL. You played against former DAs, non-former DAs, teams that play in high school, teams that don't, you know, the, the big boys, the little boys. But you've now had a situation where you've had a full year and you've seen it, you've tasted it, you've gone to the postseason, you, you see what it's all about. What's the one specific thing that you're going to look to change within your club going forward based on this past year? I'll go to Santino to start this one. The one specific thing you're going to attack this year based on your experience in the league this year. I don't know specifically if there's one thing I would say was glaring uh, to change. Uh, what I would say is for the players, it was our first year in ECNL. And I think that the showcase format was great, but I think our mentality going into some of those uh, showcases uh, the older teams was, I wouldn't say on the girl side, for instance, it was very, very competitive. And on the boy side, it was similar to like the, the I would say collegiate slash the kids, everybody was kind of going to play. And that was the one thing where at the older age groups, we want to look at those events to prepare us more for the end of the season, to prepare us for the summer, the playoffs and those games um, from a competitive standpoint. Like when we played Vic early on, that was the first time that that 2006 group, those last 20 minutes were, they've never experienced that before playing against a team that has them completely pinned. They can't get out. And they were figuring, and that was the, the, it opened their eyes a little bit. And throughout the course of the season, the ECNO as a whole opened our parents and family's eyes to the competition. And so the one thing I think that this year we will <laughs> clearly uh, not make the mistake in doing is thinking that we were going to have more success in the league than we did, if that makes sense. Yeah. Teddy, what do you think? I agree with that. I think, you know, having that understanding now of what the competition level is like coming into the league, the rules were a little bit different. So that's something that we had, you know, little challenges that we had to think about with substitutions, uh, player roster management. I think now knowing kind of the, the lay of the land a little bit, uh, we'll be able to handle that a little bit differently than before. Uh, I think from my own personal standpoint, from an internal is more of our environment where we train, you know, we trained at a park with 10 other ECNL clubs that are right next to us, right? So now with COVID over, we get to go back to our own training facility that's more closed off, more intimate. So I'm really looking forward to that and seeing if does that enhance maybe the level of our teams a little bit. But I think just handling the expectations a little bit better, not knowing the lay of the land now that we do, I think we'll be better for it moving forward. Vic, how about you? How do you how do you go from three teams in a national final? <laughs> it's all downhill now, right? <laughs> hey, the, st- the expectations are up here now, yeah, but <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, managing expectations of those three teams. No, to, to be honest with you, managing the workload and, and not so much the physical workload because our kids will go out and train tomorrow if they had to, but the mental side of it, right? It was a very long season, and the parents and that. So finding a little break for those guys is going to be a challenge for them, but. I think overall, I think our younger teams were moving conferences. So we were in the Mid-Atlantic, which had a lot of success across all levels, which, which was great for us. We're now moving into the Southeast, which is a little different brand of soccer. I equate going into Atlanta, like playing in Dallas or Houston. The games are going to be a little bit more up-tempo, if that's a, if that's a, a, a thing to look at. But you know, now we're going to have to solve those 
those those things for us. The travel has gone up a little bit, which we can handle. It's it's not an excuse, but now it's it's almost learning the conference again. I've known all these coaches, you know, most of them been coaching 30 plus years, so there'll be no surprises with that. But I think just managing that now for for our teams, what it looks like going into and playing back to back weekends. We were very fortunate because of the proximity of our our in the Mid Atlantic, we could go and play in one off fixtures and trying to 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 balance the schedule. I think now we're going to be a little bit more front loaded and trying to balance that out. So I think that's going to be a challenge for us of just where we're located. But I think with the 13s and 14s, and we're talking about doing something with the pre-ECNL guys, the U12, and trying to manage that schedule, I think it would be a, a thing for us to look at and trying to get those players a little bit more prepared as they move into the season. And again, educating the players and, and, the, and the parents within that group and the membership. I think that'll be something that we look to. And again, coming back from last year with COVID and we didn't go into Virginia and playing those teams there. So that was a little bit of a, a challenge for us. But the league and, 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 and the conference was able to, to, to change on the fly, which is great. And that's another thing that, that we, we sometimes forget is the ECNL, it's us that's running it, right? So we can make decisions on the fly, being able to adjust whether it's high school, non-high school season, and, and trying to, to fit that in. So the flexibility with the league, I think, will help us and trying to find some more programming for our U13s and 14s will be a, something we'll look at. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking that, uh, speaking of flexibility, taking the time out of your schedule. I know you guys are very busy right now preparing and going through camps and everything else. And I think Santino has a bachelor party to prepare for. So that's extremely <laughs> important. And I'm on that. But, you know, thank you guys very much for not just being on this show, for, but for being in the league. I mean, this is, for me, I stepped into a change of pace after 12 years of running, you know, one club in Pittsburgh and I stepped into a league and then all of a sudden the DA collapsed and then all of a sudden COVID. So I've yet to experience what a normal year in ECNL would feel like, but having soccer leaders like you guys involved, I think has certainly made me much better at my job. I look way more competent than I really am because of you guys, uh, which, which I greatly appreciate. But it's really helped form this new modern-day ECNL into something much bigger than all of us. And I think ultimately that's the goal. We want this to be the best youth soccer league in the country. Yes, there's, there's professional academies associated with professional teams that have resources out the wazoo. You know, we have to be that next layer underneath that where we service the best of the best in terms of youth soccer. And we bubble up those best players to the highest level. And I think your three clubs are prime examples of how to do that right. So... Appreciate you guys joining us today. This has been a pleasure for me. And, you know, hopefully for all the listeners out there, they learned a little bit about some of the problems that we face commonly uh, together and the ways that we can attack these things going forward within the ECNL. But again, thank you guys very much. And I greatly appreciate you being part of our podcast today. Thank you guys. All the best, fellas. Get some rest and uh, hopefully we'll see you down the road. Yeah, likewise, guys. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you to Jason Cutney and this great panel. Also want to thank our producer, Colin Thrash, for each and every one of them and all of you. I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you in two weeks for another edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.vecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.